two seconds, it'll be humbling or yeah, you might, you might get recognized, you know, and then like by the same person you got recognized as you're walking away, their, their friend is like, who the fuck was that? You know? Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest has starred in Veep, Superstore, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and can be seen every Saturday night live on Saturday Night Live. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Heidi Gardner. Hi. It's so good to see you. It's wonderful to have you on. I know this is a reunion for I know it's, it's been way too long. <laughs> it has. And I'll I'll just say for, for anyone listening who is a fan as they should be of Heidi's, I can say personally that not only is she talented, but she's also very kind and very sweet. So you want her to be successful. And just, you know, if you're talking to anyone and they try to talk any trash about Heidi Gardner, shut it down fast. Hey, that's so sweet, Daniel. Thank you. You're welcome. It's all true. As someone who has, I would say, hit certain, of course, milestones and big things in their career, have you given yourself a definition of success? Oh, man, it's so hard. And I, I feel like I, I'm starting to. I feel like, and maybe you've heard this a lot or thought this, like in this industry, like I don't think any of us give ourselves enough credit. We're always like, you know, trying to get to the next thing or, or comparing or seeing what other people are doing or thinking we all have to be on these like different paths. And sometimes it's very rare, but sometimes I go, Heidi, like not that long ago, you were a hairdresser and now you're on SNL and like both of those things are cool and you're fine. <laughs> and like that's, <laughs> and that's how I can just kind of be like, success I don't know exactly what success is but I'm like you made a leap and like you're good and then I yeah and then I shut down any like self-negative talk (laughs) I think that's good I also think that's something interesting you said there of of you acknowledge that both things are good yeah like it's it's not it's not like oh god and now I'm now I'm successful it's like you've lived a life you're living a life and you're doing things and you're proud of that how do you handle, I guess, if you ever do have negative talk? Like, what do you do to help yourself, I guess, find perspective or balance? Lately, I've been just, I usually find when I'm having negative self-talk, it's like when I'm thinking about the past or the future and when I'm just not in the present moment. And I mean, it's probably been a lot of things I've read or something, but if I just say like, okay, but right now, am I happy? Like in this moment, am I safe? Am I okay? Am I loved by people that I love? And, and I can usually say yes. And then I'm just kind of like, then, then I'm okay. Like, it's really only when I'm like, regretting the past or freaking out about the future that like, my mind is going wild. Staying in the present moment helps me just be like, yeah, I'm successful right now. I find that if you if you tend to dwell too much on what has happened or what is going to happen, you rarely find yourself at peace. Yeah, especially it's like, at least with the past, it's happened. And you can be like, okay, well, that's a fact. Like it happened, I can like evaluate that. But the future thinking and like the like need for control for the future, that's what really messes me up. Because whether it's like good things or bad things I'm thinking about in the future, I'm like, 
you're just making shit up like just stop <laughs> yeah it's, it's not gonna serve you at all no and none yeah. of it usually ever comes to fruition all these made-up things it's like yeah yeah I don't, I don't think about three four years ago anyone was like okay there's gonna be a global pandemic so i should think about that <laughs> yes. you have no idea what's gonna happen what was your kind of path towards comedy and acting like were you one of those people like i was always acting as a child or did it kind of establish later in life so my path to comedy and acting i would say like started later in life but because i wasn't like a kid actor and like as a kid i thought that that i grew up in kansas city and you know, I was obsessed with movies and TV and comedy and SNL and music and like pop culture, period. But I thought that like the kids that were in like the local theater, which like cost money to take acting lessons, like I was like, those are, those are the stars of Missouri, the stars of tomorrow <laughs> of Missouri. Like it was like, and that wasn't going to happen for me because acting lessons cost a lot of money. And I was like, there's just no path. But when I really think about it, so I never acted or did anything like that when I was a kid or in high school. I tried out for a play because I had a crush on a boy. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and I did not get it. And I missed the tryouts for basketball, which I actually was good at. And I remember my dad being like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, you just played AAU ball this summer. Why did you try out for that play? And I was just like, I, I couldn't admit that I liked a guy. So I was just like, I don't know. I just was like, felt like I could do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And he was like, what is that? You missed basketball. Like he was so upset with me, but that's all to say, yeah, no background. But when I look back at it, like I was always, I was like the best at prank phone calls, you know, like quoting movies to death. I had an older brother. So he was like the tastemaker in my life and was always like, you know, he was the one who introduced me to Tenacious D. Like, I remember being at, like, a slumber party, and I came home, and he was like, I've got to show you something. And Tenacious D had been on SNL. They weren't, like, the musical guests. They were just, like, SNL, like, had them on when Matthew Broderick was hosting. And my older brother, like, had taped it and was like, this is, this is the future. This is what we're going to like now, Heidi. Like, so I was surrounded by all of it. I, and my walls were covered in pop culture and obsessed with all of that. I just was like, there's no, there's no path for me. So I went to college. I like flailed around a little bit with like a major in like theater and film design. Cause I was like, well, I like movies. And so I was taking like lighting design classes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I remember buying like a textbook about lighting design and like trying to understand the math and exposure and I was like I don't think this is the thing Heidi like I know that this is part of the six film classes that KU offers but I just don't think lighting design is for you and so and then I transferred to MU and I got in just like a basic design class because um, I was like kind of artistic, but also there was a lot of math. I was like, again, I don't think this is for you. And then I had a friend one day be like, uh, my roommate at the time, she was like, will you cut my hair? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. And I did a good enough job that then all these other broke college kids asked me for haircuts. 
And then I was like, okay, college isn't working out for me, but I'm kind of good at cutting hair. So like, maybe I should drop out of school and do hair. But something about that sounded in my 18, 19 year old brain, like sounded like, oh, college dropout, which like I could care less now. But at the time, and all my other friends were in college and like thriving. I was like, oh, this is so bad. So I was like, okay, well, what if I drop out of school to do hair and move to LA? Then that sounds cool. And so I pulled it off. I moved to LA with $300. And so I don't know how I pulled that off. But then I did hair. And somewhere in that time, I met a friend who was in the Groundlings, Rachel Ramrus. Uh, and she invited me to come see Cooking with Gas. And I had heard of the Groundlings, of course, but then I saw that show and I was just like, oh, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. took a class and then the rest is kind of history. Yeah, that's I'm, and amazing. Not history, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's history. It's in the past, but yeah. it's, that's amazing. And I, I totally can relate kind of the idea of like, loving comedy loving acting loving that world but kind of like this you know you're in the midwest and it the pathway to it doesn't feel as clear or as yeah. likely do you find in a weird way that because of your design background and your knowledge of hair has led you kind of to to be able to shape different characters like you're you can see from an aesthetic standpoint of like you know, in Groundlings, they're very big with wigs and even SNL, that's a big thing. Like, are you appreciated when you're, when you're working at SNL where they're like, oh, costume and design, you're also right there with them of like, okay, I totally get where we're going for. Let's try these styles. Yes. I mean, it's pretty cool at SNL. Like if you get a sketch in, you meet with all the departments on Wednesday night and you do get to say like, this is how I want the character to look. And and you have a lot of freedom and, and I do have like big opinions on that, on the hair, on the wardrobe. But what's also cool is that I'm working with like the best of the best who rarely do they, do they push back. I would almost say they just enhance like my vision, like all have had something in my mind and they've been doing this for so long and know what works and know what looks good on camera. Sometimes no, I mean, you know, like, I definitely like some of the characters I like to play lean towards like a little left of center, sometimes a little sad, a little disheveled. And like, I've had a few times where they're like, you look sad, like you look bad <laughs> and people will feel bad for you. And I might think that's funny, but like, you know, a lot of comedy to some people is joy. And like, so they've had to brighten me up a little, a few times, like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't totally agree, but I take the expert opinion and I know that they just want the best for me. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like in a way they're probably saying like, you're playing these sad characters, but if you look too sad, you're never going to win the audience over. They're never going to be able to laugh with or at you. Yeah. They're just going to be like, why, why are we making fun of this sad lady? I know, but occasionally like, I, I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> same. Okay, I, yeah. the, my only like pushback and maybe this is to, to the audience of the world I'm just like please just know if it's on SNL if it's on a comedy show I want you to laugh like I just like <laughs> it's funny I just want to yes. give you that that like I think it's funny I promise I promise that even though I'm playing this like kind of sad person they're okay you know like, yes 
I'm taking care of them. They're okay, I promise. <laughs> right. It's like, go ahead and laugh. It yeah. is it's totally fine. I'm not gonna go, why are you laughing at me? Like it's yeah. this is the point. With that, uh, do you have any personal like characters you created throughout the years that you're like, this is my sense of humor, this is me in a nutshell? Like, do you have any that like stand out that you're like, that's the one I, I love? Yeah, I mean, there's just this one that I've done a couple times. It's just like, uh, it's just based off of like your cousin that you haven't seen in 20 years. And just the, and this is the cousin, this is the other cousin, just the fact that like, if you haven't seen each other in 20 years, the only thing you guys have to go off of was like swimming together, like... (laughs) I don't know, running around the playroom at your Uncle Dick's house. Like, there's only a few things. And I've just had those times. I actually saw a cousin that I haven't seen in 20 years recently. And I was doing the character that I play. I was like, remember your, oh, remember your bunk bed? And she was like, "Uh uh-huh. You know, like, she had her two daughters with her. And I was like, oh, I think I rolled off that, you know? And she was like, oh, cool, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And then I was like, oh, remember um, watching, um, I think we watched Willy Wonka. That was the first time I saw The Chocolate Factory. And she was like, okay, cool. I don't, I watched a lot of movies when I was a kid, you know? But I I was doing it. And that's like what I'm like lampooning. And I'm like, okay, that's me. I'm just playing myself, I guess. I think what, you know, with that character, it's like, it's cringy, but it's a person desperately just trying to relate just trying to connect with someone who's family like they have a connection but it's so tenuous it's so thin where is your head at with the ideas of like being rich and famous like where does your mind go with those concepts or those ideas gosh it's so weird because I guess there is the like well there's probably the little kid part of me as far as like rich goes that like but that probably still thinks like a little bit like ooh rich or something but just the way like a little kid does but if I really think about it and and the way that a little kid thinks about that is like car and mansion (laughs) um and I live in New York and I can't really a car doesn't make sense at least for me and then also like but then to say I'm like okay say I was like back in LA like and I was really rich and like what car would I get like okay I don't know that much about cars so I can't so so then sometimes I'm like oh I get the car that I loved when I was a kid and it's like a red Mazda Miata convertible which isn't the nicest coolest car like that's probably not the richest car anymore so I'm like um so yeah, any of those like kind of aspirations, I'm like, I don't know. I might still just be stuck at the brain of when I heard like the concept of being rich. So maybe I want to be like 13 year old rich or so, or six year old rich. And then yeah, famous is also weird. And I think this is that like Midwest part of me where it's just like, to me also famous just sounds like so big like you know when I was little like the most famous person people were like Michael Jackson Michael Jordan and Madonna you know like (laughs) and that was like the holy trinity and that's like famous and 
now it's very hard for me to, you know, even admit that like what I do would be considered fame. I can't wrap my head around that. And I wish that I could for that little girl. I wish I could, you know, tell her like, oh, all this stuff that was all over your walls, like you're doing a part of it. But it's just too, it's just too weird, just too hard to accept. <laughs> for the fame for you, because yeah, I would say there's probably people who'd be like, oh, Heidi Gardner's famous. She's on SNL. But when it's you, the individual, it's a hard label to place on yourself because, yeah. and I would say, I, I'm sure there are some actors who are able to be like, yes, I am famous because they're very well aware of their life and who they are. But even ones that you or I would be like, that's a famous person. They might be like, oh, am I? I guess, yeah, I guess people would say I'm famous. Like, it's just a very kind of hard thing to put on yourself because I've slowly through doing the podcast thinking about it, it's, it's a label put on you. Mm-hmm. Like it's never, it's rarely one that people give themselves. It's like the world at large is kind of decides. And yeah. it, like, I'm sure you've had moments where you're with people who are like, oh, I, these people, I think, think of me as famous and then you turn the corner like oh these people don't yeah yeah totally I mean it'll in in like two seconds it'll be humbling or yeah you might you might get recognized you know and then like by the same person you got recognized as you're walking away their their friend is like who the fuck was that you know like (laughs) I've heard that and it's like yeah it's just like whatever we're just people yeah all of us are just people and yeah yeah like who's that They're like oh I think that's uh Helen Griddle yeah <laughs> oh no yeah I think yeah Helen Griddle yeah it's a name she's on that show she's, she's not very funny you know yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's very much like she's on that thing she's not my favorite yeah I don't know yeah. <laughs> you're like oh okay yeah now going through uh do you feel like you've gotten some some bad career advice probably have I can't think of anyone specifically giving me bad career advice I think I've given myself some bad career advice like when like anytime like when you're doing something and like I don't know you're like you're stalling out or something or things aren't working for you or you know ground lanes you're not getting sketches in or anything like and you see other people that are and you're like okay what do oh they have a specific style or they do this okay and it's like and I'm like okay then like that works and that's what the audience wants so like do that you know it's and sometimes I've told myself like to try something different but not not in like an organic, authentic way. It's like trying to do what someone else is good at and it just doesn't work for me. And then it's not fun to write. It's not fun to perform. It's like, so I've I've done that to myself a few times where I'm just like, look for the thing that works and then do that, you know? And it's just like, no, that's not the way art and organically art working through your own body works, I don't think. I mean, you can take like, things like little things from people and be like oh I like that whatever but legitimately changing yourself and your point of view (laughs) to get laughs or validation doesn't work yeah it's like you said it's gotta it's gotta be genuine and organic and kind of the kernel has to be true to you yeah do you have I guess because in this business as anyone knows there's plenty of of highs and lows like what do you do or how have you found your ability to kind of like move through the highs and the lows 
so I'm only starting to like starting to master it master it's a big word but I feel like I'm on the right track and I I'm just trying to not lean into the emotion of like either the highs and the lows like if I lean too hard into a high like the only place I have to go from there is like straight down you know and like (laughs) And if I'm too far into a low, it's like the only thing that's going to make me better is like the best news ever, you know, like to bring me out of that low. So it's like, I just try to not get like my energy swept up in emotions, good or bad, you know, and that, that can be hard because my whole life it's, I have gotten swept up in that, but just not giving either thing too much meaning. And then also in those highs and lows, not making decisions or having conversations when I'm feeling too good or too bad. Like, I feel like sometimes, you know, you can get upset or angry and you want to talk to the person that's made you angry or something. And it's just like, or text or email. And it's like, Heidi, please just give it 20 minutes, you know, and just like really feel how you feel after 20 minutes and how much better Like, do you want to give over your emotions to this feeling or this other person? Or, or can you just kind of soothe yourself right now and you don't have to say anything and, you know, and in a day or two, if it's still on your mind, then yeah, I'm just trying not to ride the wave so intensely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great. I think it's just the kind of, you know, eventually the, the human thing of realizing like, oh, I'm not my emotions yeah (laughs) like you know just being like oh I don't have to if I'm angry be angry like Mm -hmm. I can take a moment and be like why am I angry what am I angry about and then like you said like it's amazing how with just some time and just calming yourself you go like oh I'm not as angry but I have found the one thing I do want to address yeah you know like you can kind of sift through the muck really yeah and like you said it's it's a lifelong (laughs) thing of of trying to master that skill truly yeah today I was like you know it's a week off from work and it's like kind of like a gloomy day in New York and maybe I had a little too much coffee this morning so my mind has been racing a little bit and I've just had a lot of like scattered thoughts and anxiety and all these thoughts going on but I keep on just trying to tell myself like well I don't know, Heidi, I don't know if any of these things are true. Like, I don't know if you were working today and you were busy, you wouldn't be thinking any of this shit. So like maybe today is just a like fuck around in your mind day where everything's like make believe. Like, I don't know that you're actually this messed up over something or this distraught or this angry or this happy over stuff. I think your mind just doesn't have anything else to focus on right now. So let's let it, do its thing but like let's not take any of it too seriously on this you know gloomy weird ass day where you're probably just kind of bored (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I mean asking yourself always like is that true is such a crucial thing to life like I'll have moments where like oh god these people I don't think they like me it's terrible and I go like they're not thinking about you (laughs) at all none of that's true and I I feel like I call it like the 3 a.m thoughts it's like anytime you're woken up at 3 a.m and you start thinking it's, it's none of it's good. Like, no. it's just all just like, it's just the thing that your brain's like, oh, don't forget about this. And you're like, shut, just shut up. Let me yeah. get some sleep. What would you say for you are personal milestones or times you've made it? 
let's see. First episode of SNL was definitely big, but so much, you know, pressure around it and feelings. And it's, it was hard to really, to really feel the feelings. I will say when Eddie Murphy hosted that, I think the first sketch my parents ever showed me was him playing James Brown in the hot tub, too hot for mm-hmm. the hot tub. Um, and it was the funniest thing I ever saw when I was little. And then Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. And when he came back and hosted, I got to be in the Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood sketch. And <laughs> just the set looked exactly the same. And he was in that cardigan. And Mikey and I have to like knock on the door. We're backstage. And then he opens the door. And <laughs> it's Mr. Robinson just smiling at us. Well, actually, he was mad at us. Um, we were like annoying neighbors and we were supposed to be complaining about like a television and be like did you get our tv and he opened the door and instead of being annoyed Mikey and I are both just like (laughs) like we couldn't um so that was so special that was huge um I think it was my third season I got to go back to Kansas City and every Thanksgiving in Kansas City there's this big like outdoor shopping area called the plaza and on thanksgiving like a hometown hero gets to flip the switch and turn on the plaza lights and all the like buildings are lit and i got to do that um a couple years ago and that was just like i would go down and see that all the time i was down there working serving hot chocolate when paul rudd did it it was very sweet and very special for me And then also I've gotten to go to some Chiefs games, like where, you know, I got to meet some Chiefs, (laughs) just another like hometown, really special thing for me. Those have probably been the big ones. And then last season I I did a sketch where uh, it was based off the documentary, The Last Dance, and I got to play Michael Jordan's um, bodyguard and the whole set and all the actors in it were in like vintage bulls warm-ups and sun's warm-ups and it looked just like you know I felt like I was like at the United Center in 1994 it was really cool I mean what what you're describing which is such a like joyous fun thing is like they're all just like the the childhood pinch me moments like the moments that like you still get giddy like you can't believe like Heidi from Kansas City is doing these things yeah and I know there's probably like so many moments but yeah seeing Eddie Murphy who's just like a legend and an icon and just such a phenom and to be in like one of his quintessential characters and sketches like yeah how could you not open the door with like a stupid grin on your face because you're like I can't I can't help it it's like yeah a secret blessing of this career and this thing that I'm always like gosh like I want to succeed I want to do stuff I want to you know, have a career and do well. But I also love that there's the bonus that like some kid from the Midwest could watch something you've done and laugh and dream and just be excited about that, which is like, you're in a category now, which is hard to like, I'm sure for you to sometimes fathom, like there's somebody watching you being like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's awesome. I mean, that's the only time, Daniel, I'll be honest, that I can ever have the moment of being like, oh, to to someone else, they might feel that way or, or I might be famous because whenever I would meet someone like that when I was a kid, like those moments were like, would make my year, you know? Like they were, 
everything to me. So like, you know, if anyone, I mean, I hope, I don't want to make too much a big of a promise, but I will say when anyone approaches me, like I do want it to be a very special moment for them because I know, I know what a moment it is. You know, I know mm -hmm. like how special I want to treat it and honor it with the bravery of someone coming up to approach someone else when they're nervous, you know, I want to, uh, you know, give them the time to say what they want to say and respond and make them feel good and make sure that like the experience is, is positive, you know, like mm -hmm. as much as I can. So that's the only time where I kind of honor, even though it's still weird for me where I'm like, okay, wait, they, if they think that I want, I want them to have a nice time with this. <laughs> you want them to leave being like oh wow like that was such a nice moment because yeah, you yeah. can remember being a kid meeting someone and the impact it has the feeling it has which I think is the right approach to it of realizing like they're excited to see you can you at least acknowledge how vulnerable that is and how yeah. scary that might be and how genuine it is and like even for anyone in any part of their life, there's plenty of people you probably meet that you still get nervous and you're like, oh my, God. Oh my gosh, yeah. I like, it's I mean, just such yeah. a powerful thing. I just, a few weeks ago at the show, Steve Martin was there. And I mean, I still am like kind of nervous meeting people when they're in their dressing rooms. But like in my dressing room, I have a old like TV VHS player and I watch movies and I have a copy of Parenthood and it's my favorite movie. And I was like, Steve Martin's like four doors down. And I just like, I was like, Heidi, you gotta do it. You've got it. Like, you just have to do it. And I was in the hallway and he complimented a sketch. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you so much. And he was walking back to his dressing room. And I was like, um, Steve, would it be okay if I came by later with a copy of Parenthood to have signed? And he was like, of course. And so I got, I took it and I knocked on the door and I went in there and sat with him. And while he signed it, I got to ask him about filming the movie and filming planes, trains and automobiles and John Candy and like, and then, um, and he was so kind to me. And then I went back to my dressing room. I sat <laughs> with the copy of the movie and I did, I talked to like my eight year old self and I was like, Heidi, cause I used to watch that movie all the time at my mamo and Bampo's. Uh, with my older brother Justin and I was like this movie like you you met uh Gil you met Cowboy Gil from this movie and he signed it and you talked to him and it was really positive and special and isn't that cool <laughs> that's so lovely and you know not surprising at all of course Steve Martin is just a delightful wonderful man well speaking of maybe not so many so delightful wonderful man it's the time in the, the podcast where <laughs> where Raz Clifford has to come out and take the guest down a peg. He doesn't care how big <laughs> anyone is. All right, so come on out, Raz. Okay, here we go, finally. <laughs> Eddie Gardner. Oh my God, if ever a person needed to be roasted, it's this buffoon. God, look at this idiot. Well, Heidi, <laughs> over the years, I've seen you grow as a performer. She's grown from horrible to god-awful. <laughs> now I got to ask you, so you've been on SNL for a few years now, right? Yes. Okay. And I, I can only assume this has just been a big elaborate prank on the audience, right? <laughs> um, like, like, 
we're like the joke. I, I don't, I'm not sure I get it, but I'm like, okay, I guess they'll just, they'll cast anybody is kind uh-huh. of the idea. Okay. Oh my God. My favorite sketches though on the show are the ones you're not in. <laughs> it's a breath of fresh air, of course. All right. It's time. <laughs> it's time we started a rumor about Heidi. So everybody get this. She, she eats garbage. Okay. She literally eats garbage out of the trash, which I think people will believe because you have no taste. <laughs> Thank you, Raz. You are quite welcome. Heidi is to comedy what cobras are to babies. You don't want them anywhere near each other. <laughs> oh my God. Bang, zoom. Oh, Heidi, you got razzed. Uh, just some career advice. Perhaps go by Helen Griddle. It has, a, <laughs> it, it has a better ring. And if you ever see me around, I'm not going to sign any of my old VHSs. Don't even ask. I know you're a big fan. Just leave me the fuck alone. All right. Bye, Raz. Bye, Raz. Thank you for taking me down a peg. <laughs> it's always happy to. I came in so hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guns blazing. <laughs> 10 years from now, what advice do you think you would give your current self? I think I want to just encourage Heidi to have fun. Just have fun. I think just, yeah, just have more fun. Just be lighter, be easier, be softer, be more tender with yourself, love yourself, and blossom a little bit more. Like, you know, think of yourself as a flower and keep on, keep on blooming. That's very nice. Now, you're, of course, doing what you should be doing. You're selling at it. But if you weren't pursuing comedy and acting, what would be the other area of interest or career you had to choose? I think if I was like thinking with my kid brain, like as far as like, oh, what I like, uh, you know, I love sports. So I would try to like, and I don't even know what I would do because I don't think I would be like a great commentator. I know this is crazy, but sometimes, or I make up jobs for myself in sports where I'm like, I would love to give the losing team hugs. Like if they would accept them, like I would love to squirt Gatorade in mouths. Like I would love to just be support I would just love to kind of pal around, like be the little sister on the sidelines. But that's probably a little bit like, then maybe I would get in that job and I would be like, wait, I'm an adult woman. I don't know if I fit that well. I don't know if I like this that much. So I really think that, and I don't know how I'd like quantify this, but I do know that whenever I'm around kids, and I see them light up. I know this is silly. I've had this just happen a couple times the last couple of years. It's happened twice where I connected with a child. One was like buying a pork tenderloin in Kansas City where like he was wearing some Jordans. He was in line and I was like, oh, I, you know, I love your Jordans. And we talked a little bit and then he pulled um, some Smarties out of his pocket and he's like, these are for you. And it was like, I mean, I still have the smarty. I'm like, okay, best gift I've ever had. Um, and and the what I felt come up inside of me, like this connection with a kid, it felt so good. And then last Halloween, I was, or it was two Halloweens ago, I was like, I didn't have a busy Saturday at the show. So I was, I left the studio and I went to walk around Central Park and all these kids were out like trick-or-treating and they were getting candy, like in the park, there were all these like candy stops or whatever. And there was this little boy in a flash costume and he 
turned around and he just walked up to me and he handed me a blue airhead. And I was like, I didn't say trick or treat, you know, like, <laughs> but he just gave me his candy. And I was just like, that was the sweetest. So it would be something. And I felt that feeling like, I was like, this is better. This is better than like, when you hear an audience laugh, this is better. I don't know. This is just the best feeling ever. So it's like working with kids. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a teacher. I don't know if that's a mom. I don't know if that's a volunteer, but it would be something like, just like helping kids. Well, really what it sounds like is you just want a job where kids hand you candy. <laughs> that's true too. <laughs> what if it's like the candy that's lighting me up? It's not the kids at all. It's yeah. candy. It's like, okay, I have this new daycare center. Every child must have a different candy in their pocket. At some point in the day, they just have to hand it to me. Okay. Yeah. That's all they have to do. Um, now, uh, you've been a guest on a late night talk show, but I asked all my guests, if a guest on a late night talk show, what's a story you've always wanted to tell, but maybe haven't or would love to tell? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I told it, but I, my, I mean, my mom's a constant source of inspiration for me. And when I was a kid, she went to Cuba, Cuba, as she called it when she came back. And, you know, it wasn't easy to get to Cuba when uh, we were kids. It, it wasn't even legal, I don't think. So, but she came back like with a lot of rum, a lot of cigars, a lot of things that probably would have gotten my mom, you know, locked up had they been found in her suitcase. But she was just so like, oh, and Cuba, Cuba. And I remember my brother and I being like, I I'm so surprised, like, you know, you weren't locked up in Cuba and and we were and we didn't have a mom anymore but she uh and so that was that was always like funny to me but then a few years ago she just dropped um she's like well you know um when I was in Cuba and I went to the rooster competition the and it was like cockfight <laughs> and she was like no honey uh, no it's a rooster competition and I was like um yeah I've never heard rooster competition in my life I've heard cockfight was there a dead rooster at the end of the competition she was like honey I don't I don't quite remember. I don't and then like just got up and left <laughs> so rooster competition for me and just oh. her complete denial of participating in a cockfight and now I'm just like okay, you smuggled cigars, you smuggled rum, you went to a cockfight, like, what the fuck else did you do in Cuba that week? Yeah, was this uh, <laughs> some type of weird mission you were on? I love yes. the euphemism of rooster competition. It's like someone like, oh, I went to that bull pageant in Spain. <laughs> yes. The bullfight? No, yeah. the, the bulls come out and people, it was a bull pageant. Yeah, uh, can rooster canine wrestling. Like, it's yeah. like, yeah rooster competition yeah there's something very funny about people who like travel and then take on the like spirit or affectation of the place oh always with her our voicemail or our answering machine when I was a kid was like hola we're not home right now leave a message after the beep merci beaucoup ciao <laughs> oh my god oh the, and then, the gardeners are international yeah then once she started doing uh, yoga, then it would be, merci beaucoup, ciao, namaste. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, mom. 
it's on a lot of a lot of different identities that these people uh, people are like i don't know what language to respond to well heidi thank you so much for for hopping on and chatting i know you're you're busy and whatnot are there any things you got kind of coming in the pipeline for people to look out for i know of course saturday night well like i said earlier i'm not busy i was bored today (laughs) so i'm so happy that i got to break that up with this podcast so thank you yeah, June 10th on Netflix, uh, Adam Sandler's new movie, Hustle, comes out. It's a basketball movie. It's got real NBA players in it, and um, I'm in it, and I'm really just excited to be a part of that. Like I said, I love sports, love Adam Sandler. Dream come true. <laughs> uh, don't know spoilers, but I really hope your character gets to hug the losing team. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Did I hug? I do hug someone in the movie. Okay. But... I think, got, I think I did. You got to watch take. it. Well, that's very exciting. <laughs> I can't wait. So again, thanks, Heidi. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. And thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous. Almost Famous.